what's going on on the Patreon? Well, we're interviewing Nikki Wolfuck, a author as well as a amazing chocolatier. It kind of reflects more of how I see things because I've been on the outside for so long in so many different communities and not feeling like I fit in. And so when I decided to create the chocolate company, I wanted to create a community. So that has always been like the first and foremost. So we find, you know, we have these adventures, we have these different flavors that we taste and, you know, we're, we're tapping into different places, different people and different experiences, but we're also coming together with this mutual understanding. And so that was my motivator. And so that's what I hope to bring when it comes to the chocolates. So if you want to get access to that episode now, that's patreon.com slash is it transphobic. Is it transphobic? We'll be addressing issues of transphobia and transmisogyny. We may also address issues of racism, classism, ableism, and various other intersectional issues in this podcast. So this is a trigger warning. The panelists on Is It Transphobic will also use strong language. So listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. My name is Ashley Lauren Rogers. I use she, her, and they, them pronouns, and I am the producer of the Is a Transphobic podcast. And today I'm being joined by me, Jonathan Alexandrados, uh, they, them, theirs, uh, non binary playwright, professor, and Trekkie per today's episode. Yeah, so this is uh, this is kind of huge because Star Trek Discovery has both a trans character and a non-binary character on Discovery now, uh, and they are portrayed by a trans and a non-binary actor, uh, and so that's just like just to to give away the the for lack of a better term to give away the goat. Uh, that's that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, I will freely admit, though, and this is a thing like no matter what we talk about is going to be a spoiler for me because I was a late uh, comer to. Star Trek Disco. Um, so welcome. So I'm I'm very excited to be at the Star Trek Disco. That's not the theme song or anything. No, it should be though. It should be honestly. Like I know it's Star Trek Discovery. Nobody calls it that. Nobody calls it. It's Star Trek Disco. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the Star Trek Donna Summers would want. <laughs> but but yeah, I'm uh, maybe midway through season two right now. So I'm like, you know, again, we're like, there's a bunch of stuff that we're going to talk about that just I will have no reference for other than I'm just so excited. Uh, and mostly because I know that you're very excited about this as well. Um, and not yeah. only that, uh, one of our one of our longstanding patrons on Patreon, uh, they are a non-binary person from Germany. They uh, actually approached me about this as well, which is part of the the impetus for me saying like, no, we got to do this right now. Uh, for those that maybe don't know, the way I've been doing this podcast during uh, self isolation has been uh, in an unprecedented move. I recorded about. 25 interviews with people uh, about media criticism and about various other topics, including uh, non-binary people don't need to uh, give you gender compliance, uh, as well as the the idea of like clowns, this con- dissecting the idea that clowns have no gender, all both of which will be coming out soon. Um, but I, I sat down with 25 sets of people to have conversations. And so I've been slowly, I'm still not done. So anything that you're hearing from now until basically March is going to be stuff that I I recorded in March of this past year, except for this conversation, because it is such a big thing for Star Trek. And it is such a big thing for a lot of us uh, that we, we, I, I felt it was important for you and I to sit down and have a conversation now about this. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I, I, I'm really glad that you had that thought because I, I truly agree with your urgency about it. I think that, um, you know, Star Trek has always been a place that I've looked to for inspiration and for a model for how I am supposed to be. And in some ways that has been really useful throughout my life in the sense of infinite diversity and infinite combinations and the idea of a utopian future that we can fight for through science and through cooperation and through exploration. In other ways, I think that it has been less helpful, uh, especially like growing up with the next generation where everybody is like super thin and in jumpsuits and you feel like you kind 
kind of have to look like that in order to be um, like really, you know, successful in this, you know, utopian future. And I think that that is where that is a, a place where Star Trek can kind of let you down until I would argue now with Discovery, where I think that they're actually creating many body types and many uh, many identities that are outside of what one might have seen growing up with the next generation. And I think that that is super cool. It's the Star Trek I needed as a teenager. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I don't think of, because the, the one Star Trek that I've really watched for a long period of time was Next Gen. Uh, and that was not while it was coming out. That was like, this is the thing that my father watched. Oh, okay, cool. He's, he's watching this thing. Yeah, I know about data. Yeah, okay. Uh, that guy's got a beard. All right, cool. Uh, <laughs> and... So for me, like I, I didn't even notice that, like that idea of like these all have to be the like for lack of a better term, like the Hollywood Star Trek people. <laughs> Which then we got the Hollywood Star Trek people, and it's like, oh, it's a completely different world too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So what was so? Let me ask you this: like before we get into a lot of the representation and we get into a lot of that, what what are the elements of Star Trek that really bring you uh, to it? I know you you touched on it a little bit, but like mm-hmm. what? makes star trek this this thing for you well i grew up with it which i think is the is a big part of it it's such a a well of nostalgia for me now i remember watching the episode miri which is a star trek the original series episode uh for the first time when i was oh god i mean i surely was around four or five in there um and it freaked me out i mean it really scared me and if you know the episode you probably can deduce why um but i remember seeing that i remember seeing you know the the encounter at farpoint which the next generations pilot and so i have memory of seeing this getting the action figures playing with them you know going and and really using this as a way to sort of relate to my parents as well who also knew the show so there's that um but then in the world of the show there's also a lot of philosophy that's there that really helps me especially now as a teacher um where I encounter people who think differently and live differently and are different than myself every single day. And I think a lot of those people come from an experience where they face people othering them constantly. And I think Star Trek is an argument not to other. It's an argument to say, uh, hey, you know, I I think you're awesome. I think you're beautiful. I think let's, you know, if you're open to it, let's have a, a conversation. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be about identity or anything. It can just be about whatever we might relate to. And I think that that's um, really, really great and positive. And I think if we all sort of approach people that way, uh, I think the world would be a lot happier. (laughs) I Mm. hope. (laughs) Yeah. No, the, the, the thing that always kind of stuck with me about Star Trek was the, the social aspect of it. Like both like, yes. Okay. You know, we've got like the Trekkies and like, especially as someone who's come from a lot of spaces that are like nerd, oriented spaces going to conventions working at these conventions doing these things so i i definitely feel that from a a social aspect of this piece of media has brought people together but also from the aspect of part of the reason that it has and this is a thing i didn't really realize until i sat down and started really watching next gen was this idea of the 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 social way that people communicate on the show and the way that it's a lot less uh of action and violence oriented and you know there are moments in a lot of classic trek but really a lot of it is that idea of getting to the root of the problem and finding out the way not to interfere with an entire different species of people mm-hmm. uh, an entire different group of people an entire different mentality of people depending on what problem they're trying to solve uh, and just that idea of how do we help them without completely upending who they are yeah and yeah i always teach the episode darmok from uh star trek the next generation's fifth season and that to me has always been emblematic of exactly what you're saying where uh basically just a quick quick rundown of that it's just you know captain of another race uh captain of a ship that belongs to another race communicates with the enterprise they can't speak to each other because they can't understand one another so that captain abducts picard they beam down to a planet and their whole goal is just learning how to communicate that's it and that captain is totally willing to die for that 
because the captain understands that the communication is worth it. Like honest, good communication between two people who are not the same is is worth it. And that captain was willing to to risk his life in order to do that. Um, and it really shows you uh, something about about our world and and about what our world could be if we value communication um, to that much. Maybe we don't have to necessarily die for it you know you can figure out a way before it gets there to uh to communicate with people yeah and especially like now watching through disco i think it took a little while now let me let me ask you especially as a longtime track fan what like were you immediately engrossed in disco did it take a little bit to kind of get you there what like what was your journey with the newest version of star trek when uh the first scene opened on Giorgio and burnham walking through the desert i broke down in tears and said that i'm never leaving the show ever and then i was hooked ever since and i i think that what got me in that scene uh the the opening shot of the pilot is the fact that there were two women that both held authority in this world that were both meant to track and follow and like, and they were accomplishing a, a mission, a dangerous mission um, together, and they were in command together. And I was like, this this show has now announced itself as a show that is interested in going to places that even Star Trek has not necessarily gone before. And I think that that is the show that I want to be a part of. A lot of the fan pushback that I've seen against Discovery, which I do not believe that there is a lot of this. I think that there is a, there are vocal fans uh, that don't like it because they want something that basically takes a script from TOS and just remakes that. And that is not at all what Discovery is doing. And I'd say that is a good thing because we want to keep exploring. We want to keep going further. And when I saw that first opening shot, I knew that this was a show that was going to do that. And that mm -hmm. was what I wanted to be a part of. And now that we've landed in this world where we have a non-binary character and we have a character who's trans, um, played by actors who are, um, that is what I've expected. That is what the show has taught me to expect. And I expect that we won't stop there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know uh, when it was first coming out, I didn't really watch it because it was like I don't have cable and um, I would have to order CBS All Access. And at that time, Star Trek, and again, because I'm not a Trek fan, I'm not. Do you? OK, let me let me get this clarification real quick, because I've had like strangely a lot of conversations. Trek er Trek E. Uh, I use Trekkie. Um, I, I know that there are, that that is a nerd fight that happens. Uh, yep. And I think that there are, I think that the, the entire argument revolves around these identifiers potentially being something that would be uh, bad or insulting. So like for a while, Trekkie was like, oh, you're such a Trekkie. Like, oh God, you know, like basically code for like, oh, you'll never get a date or whatever, you know, as if that yeah. is anything. Um, and state so, of the Trekkies. Oh, just you wait. <laughs> oh yeah. The discussions that you can have. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So people would sort of be like, no, 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 I'm a Trekker. Like that's, you know, that's more, more dignified or whatever, but you know what? Like it's all, valid it's all freaking valid like if you are a trekkie if you're a trekker whatever uh if you're a person who watches star trek i you know that it's all um to me not not relevant i just like the way trekkie sounds and i think that it's kind of taken this cool place in culture where for a while it was seen as like something negative or whatever because uh sci-fi but now like sci-fi marvel movies all that stuff has exploded so there's really no need to see to to see any derogatory value in any of these terms so i just say go with whatever you like love it Love it. Yeah, I know uh, in, in my time in steampunk, again, to not talk about the thing we're talking about, but uh, in my time in steampunk, that was uh, that was a, an argument that we had constantly was like, are you a steampunk or a steampunker? <laughs> and I will admit, I agree with you on everything that you've said about Trekkies and Trekkers and like if you're just a fan of Star Trek, but I will like... I will go down in flames arguing you should not call yourself a steampunker because people who are punks are not, they're punks, they're not punkers. You're such a punker. You're like, what is that? What is that? Respect. I still love you at the same time. I will 
fight. <laughs> no, steampunker is not a thing that you should call yourself. <laughs> Refuse. Well, yeah, I think that the the difference there is like punk <laughs> is a word that exists outside of the context that we're talking about. But like trekkie or trekker, both were terms invented for this. So uh, maybe they hold a different sort of status because of that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah so to get back on track though to get back on track um yeah with 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 this season with particularly the first season of star trek disco i remember it coming out and it being a big thing and a lot of my friends in these communities uh like i have a couple of friends that are just like no nah, i'm good and they you know like big time trek ease <laughs> big time like folks that have like followed for a long time and they're just like oh it's not my thing it's just like, oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, I've also had, because at this point, that was when uh, when the first season of Disco came out. That was the same time as the first season of The Orville, uh, which we have also discussed on this podcast and I think is just vile garbage. Yep, I agree. Um, but everyone, everyone, and I say everyone, my cishet friends who are fans of Star Trek yeah. came to that and they said, this is what we're looking for. This is Star Trek. And it's just like, it's it's horrible. I, I mean, and, and I would go so far as to to say that some of that is even toxic. Not not to not to say that if you if you like the Orville by default, that makes you X, Y, and Z. It it doesn't necessarily. It's not necessarily that simple. But like, that is exactly my experience. And the thing about that that seems to be true is like if you are a fan of TOS, um, if you're a fan of like Enterprise, you know, if you're a fan of like any of those shows that basically just kind of traded scripts between each other and just like control F and like control R, like Kirk and Picard, essentially, um, <laughs> you like the Orville because that is Brandon Braga. That is all of the homophobes that were <laughs> wrote it writing for Star Trek back in the day that are now over on the Orville uh, uh, doing that. And of course, I don't mean to classify everybody on the Orville as a homophobe, but I am saying that people like Brandon Braga are the reason you did not get gay characters on TNG. And the fact that that fucker is on the Orville is, uh, or, or had any sort of connection to that show is uh, just awful. Uh, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, and especially, again, like as someone who is not a, a Trekkie, someone who's just sort of like consuming media randomly, I didn't even know that aspect of it. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, so like Star Trek has had a history of wanting to um, explore LGBTQ plus identities um, on the shows. Um, I think that, you know, George Takei famously sort of has this uh, story that he repeats about talking to Gene Roddenberry and basically saying like, hey, what about gay people? Um, and Roddenberry essentially was like, yeah, like I'd like to do that, but now is not the time. It was kind of that that sort of answer, um, which is something that I think Takei always says like sympathetically as if he sort of understands where Roddenberry is coming from. I think that if you feel like pushing back against that a little bit, I, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with doing that. Um, but then once you get to TNG, you have characters that were meant to be gay and then weren't. And then you have sort of people like Brandon Braga who are like, we're not going to explore that on this show. That is not going to be what we do. Mm -hmm. um, you have in TNG instances where um, they explore, uh, try to explore non-binary or queer identities badly um they just went very poorly and uh then you go into ds9 where you have the character of jadzia dax who when she had a a kiss with a another female character basically that episode was like essentially banned in oklahoma or these types of places you know that was not shown um because of that and um so star trek has tried kind of inching its way and then i feel like what's great about discovery is once we hit now we're going into warp speed a little bit and and i love that because honestly star trek should have been the first doing this shit and the fact that it's the last is reprehensible and i don't think that that's going to continue you know i think that it's going to continue to expand and and be a home for lgbtq plus people but uh it should have been there a lot sooner and there were people holding it back from doing that and yeah that makes me incredibly pissed off as a trekkie yeah no and i i think i think so much of that is very much this idea that once star trek kind of became an institution unto itself uh there there are so many people that remembered what they like they see it as absolutely this is the future that we want to portray as 
for people. And so for folks who are queer, are LGBTQ+, and wanted to see themselves represented, they were met with a lot of the uh, folks who were already in power who said, mm, well, even though, yeah, okay, no. Because if we show that as the ideal, then people will think that's the ideal. And she's like, that is the ideal, and fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah it it had it would have had so much power i mean as a kid I, I this is what i was absorbing and i know that a lot of my my trekkie friends also say the same thing this is the show that they were absorbing as a kid and i know if they had gone into uh and 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 actually featured non-binary characters um on their show i i would have certainly come to my own identity a lot sooner than I did. Uh, it's not their responsibility to do that, but I think that when you're when you're a show that holds that level of importance in a in a fan's life, you just wish. You just wish that they did. Yeah. I know in the past, and I'm looking up the specific episodes, but we've done uh, with my good friend Silas, uh, we talked about two separate episodes of The Next Generation. Uh, I'm just looking up exactly which episodes. Probably because... The Outcast, I would imagine. It, yeah, we did The Outcast and The Host. Okay, was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Outcast was fascinating. Uh, just to rehash really quick, this was a society that is without gender. There is no gender in the society. Until Riker tells you. Yeah, until Riker, until Riker wants to have sex with you, and then suddenly there's gender. No, but, uh, like, I, I do, I, and it's so interesting because I guess Jonathan Frakes is his name, Riker. Yeah, yeah, Jonathan Frakes uh, really wanted that actor to be portrayed by a uh, male actor, and they said no, we can't show that, even though I know that this character has no gender. And so, like, they, they, there really have been a lot of like pushes to try, uh, and I do recommend people listen to our. Uh, episodes on the host and the outcast because they're they're fascinating especially again as someone who was just coming into it as like i have a base knowledge of star trek um but it it really did show and i think that people took away the wrong message but even in that thing even in that episode it was so good to show the problem with forcing people into a gendered box and even if that gendered box is you cannot have a gender mm -hmm. you have to look like this and if you start showing a completely different gender outside of this like this idea of like boxing people in is the problem and when we so like if they had celebrated gender diversity and just said there is no gender because <laughs> everything's cool then that would have been very different than you have to do this you have to get this haircut you have to look like a beetle you have to <laughs> yeah yeah, exactly. The the sort of sibling episode that goes with that in Star Trek Enterprise is the cogenitor uh, episode, which I don't know if y'all went into, but um, that no. that was basically an episode where they tried to do kind of the same thing, in which they have a species that uh, essentially uh, recognizes three genders, and there's this sort of other one that uh, is a necessary sort of component in their mating uh, process, uh, but is recognized as a as an additional sort of gender outside of the binary and it it goes horribly just in terms of the episode i think like I, it's just yet another example where this is not done well yeah so so let's talk about the the stuff that is done well yes so disco i'll i'll tell you a little bit what kept me specifically because i've talked about all my friends who love trek and hated disco uh but Losers. <laughs> like no, I'll, I, I'll, I yeah <laughs> i mean respect yeah uh, sure but yeah, for, for me, it really, like, something about that, like, first couple episodes, it just, like, yes, it was action, and I love action, but at the same time, something about it just was like, eh, okay. So I just kept watching other things, I'd do other things when I finally came to it. And then, for some reason, we just said, I think it was literally that they brought in trans and non-binary actors for trans and non-binary characters that Diana, my wife, and I finally said, like, all right, let's just watch it. All right, let's just, you know, let's get through that hump. And let's like get through whatever was keeping us. And once they actually got to a lot of the the horror aspects of season one, which uh, other friends have said have pulled them out of it completely, uh, but then they came back for season two. Um, but for me, like the horror aspects were actually like, oh, this is interesting. I know Trek has gone into horror territory, but I've never seen it like this. Yeah. And so it was like, okay, I'm I'm here for whatever this ride is. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that it's it's interesting to me how few people I've heard are like super enthusiastic about every single season. I am, frankly, but like <laughs> people who are, I, it's very common for me to hear people like, oh, I love season two. I hated season one. Or, oh, I like season three is where it should have started. And like seasons one and two were tough for me. Okay, fine. You know, like that, that, but that speaks to, I think, how they are exploring genre in, in interesting ways. And they're doing it through these, these season long arcs, kind of like what Deep Space Nine did. I think if you're a Deep Space Nine fan, you, you probably get into Discovery a lot because uh, they are, they are formally similar. Because mm. I know, like, and again, like, having watched very little, like, but the stuff I have watched has been very episodic and almost like Alien of the Week as opposed to like Monster of the Week uh, problem solving. And with this, they have that, like, every episode has a clear beginning, middle end. But at the same time, there's that overarching story of what's happening and the mycelium and the like mycelial network and what it's doing. And suddenly we're in a completely different dimension. Yeah. Um and like all of these stories are very like, okay, they're focused on these other characters. And it's so, I think the other thing that fascinates me is especially in season one, there are so many characters on the bridge who we just don't know, mm -hmm. who we kind of get like a name, like a, a Woshikun we hear. And then like, we see like, oh, you know, this one has a, a history with Michael Burnham yeah. because, oh, yep, yo, she, oh, oh, she remembers her. Yeah. Um, Kayla Detmer. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't really know who they are, even by the end of season one. Yeah. We just know that they're on the ship. And that's actually kind of interesting and almost like an audience insert. Because mm -hmm. you're so used to, like, the bridge being the most important. And, like, everyone on the bridge, like, you know them. You know uh, Sulu, and you know Riker, and you know, like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, starting your show with a lieutenant commander is, I think, such a bold choice. Like, you're not, the captain is not the focus, uh, mm -hmm. really. It's you're focused on this person who is sort of trying to figure out her place in the in the ranks here, mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was so, so great. And I, I think you get this because Discovery, Discovery brought in people who had never done Trek, and they also elevated people who had done Trek, um, who maybe didn't get as much attention as they deserve. Like Kristen Beyer is a genius and she's written some of the best Voyager novels out there. But uh, now she's, she's written many episodes for, for discovery and they've been wonderful, but they've also brought in directors and writers outside of that, by the way, directors and writers who are people of color, black, you know, I mean, the people who are not, uh, unfortunately, commonly represented in the history of Trek, despite the show's push to be progressive, um, I don't know that they've always done the best job of hiring those people, uh, mm -hmm. especially behind the camera. And now uh, they're they're doing that, uh, which is just amazing to see how they shake things up in in brilliant ways. Well, and and even like representation from the the actors, like most of the actors that I see from Star Trek and part of it is because they're jumping into a again this like franchise that is so much bigger than any one person uh but like they're they handle themselves outside of it like beyond disco like even before disco every single one of them uh with the exception of maybe the TOS the original series some of the TOS cast uh, <laughs> but most of them yeah. do such a good job of elevating the idea of like we need to push forward we need to do more we need to keep creating beyond this uh and we need to create spaces for people like us and I think that especially kind of like what you were saying having a lot less people like them on the back end as production people has hindered it. And even though we are seeing people portrayed in a way that, yes, we want to see more of what the future will actually look like mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, not having them behind has really hurt a lot of the series. And again, I, I speak as someone who's not been a fan, but someone who has jumped in every now and again, and who knows a lot of people who have, way more knowledge than I do about it. <laughs> well, you're right. I mean, that's that's an accurate assessment. And I think that regardless of what property you're a fan of, I think that we do have this responsibility to say, yeah, yeah, yeah I love this thing, but also fuck this thing. We're going to make it a lot better, right? Like that's, you know, because we're going to keep pushing for it to get better and better and better. So I think that that's kind of the conversation that that Discovery really evokes, which is, yeah, this is this is great. But also, you know, now that we've achieved that, now we as fans can also go, yeah, 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 but fuck those guys. Where are we going next? Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is, is also super exciting.
Yeah. Like, it, it just reminds me, I saw a tweet from Patrick Stewart recently uh, just congratulating Elliot Page and saying, like, I'm so glad that you're, like, my friend. And it's just like, oh, my God, what? Yeah. <laughs> Good. Great. Like, just, again, like, adjacent things. Like, I know that this is not super focused, but at the same time, it's just like, oh, my God. Like, I saw that. And I was just like, of course, Patrick Stewart is thanking Elliot Page. Hooray for Elliot Page. Oh, we all for... wish we could just be yeah. friends with Patrick Stewart. I mean, <laughs> shouldn't that come with, like, when you come out or even if you don't come out? Just, yeah. you know. Patrick Stewart should just call you and be like, hello, I'm your friend now. <laughs> hello, now we can be friends. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you, Great. Patrick Stewart. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so let's let's talk a little bit about uh, Disco Season 3. And again, I am not there yet, but I am so here for... Uh, just go ahead and spoil it. That's fine. Tell me about these characters, the ones who are... Yeah, who, so, who we came here to talk about, really. So like, Adira and Gray are the two that you really want to know the names of, and mm-hmm. and those are the two characters that are are central to this discussion about non-binary characters and trans characters. So um, I thought that this was and continues to be because it is season three is still going on. Um, I thought it was done really well. the 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 criticism of it is. Um, that I think is, is it does resonate with me is that Discovery has a little bit of a problem killing their killing their queer characters. Oh uh, my god! Okay, cool. So, <laughs> I mean, but so I think that <laughs> that it's it it puts us in a weird place because. Um, all right, so I'm going to say stuff, and if you haven't seen it, I apologize in advance. I know you've talked about, like, season three, yeah, but there's some season two stuff in there that maybe you haven't gotten yeah. to yet. Um, spoiler spoiler alert, if you want to catch up, catch up, and then come back to the conversation. But I immediately, as soon as you said killing their gaze, I thought yeah. of you. And then you yeah. like, oh, fuck, like, that's a thing that happened. And then season two, it's like, wait, that didn't happen now, I guess. Right. Okay. Right. right. So that that seems to be a, a, a sort of theme. So Culber, yeah, dies, but then doesn't. In season three, the idea is that Adira is in a relationship with Gray. Gray dies, but then also doesn't. And so that what that does do, which to me is 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 touching although i think we could probably suggest better ways to get there is there is a really touching conversation between stamets culber and adira um and when that conversation is happening with those three of them basically it's it's a big sort of acceptance conversation of just like hey you know you're you we get it we we love you this kind of thing Hmm. and you 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 really it really hits you hard when you realize like that is a that is a conversation between three main characters on a star trek property that are all queer and that is very very meaningful uh to me to see but um adira uh their journey is is interesting um so just to give a quick rundown, I guess, of it, um, so people are familiar or as familiar as you'd like to be, uh, or maybe you know all this already, but Adira holds a secret that the rest of the crew needs in order to accomplish their mission. And I'm being purposely kind of vague about this. Um, and the other thing that we learn about Adira is that they are the host of a Dax, uh, or not a, da- a Trill symbiont. Oh, okay. Uh, which humans are not necessarily are not supposed to be able to do. No, but as I still- remember from that one episode, one of the few episodes I've seen. Yeah, it was it caused hell in Riker's body. Am I yes. correct? Yes. yes. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so humans are not supposed to do this. They're not really mm-hmm. sure why Adira can. Um, but the result of that is that Adira then has this collective knowledge of the previous uh, hosts, which is is interesting to me because in Trek circles, um, a lot of people talk about how Dax, Jadzia Dax on Deep Space Nine was a useful character for them to have uh, it, when they were coming out as trans. So like fans who have come out as trans um, have said basically like Jadzia Dax really was inspirational to me to do that. Not because Jadzia Dax was 
a trans character, but because the idea of a cis character hosting multiple identities uh, resonated with some folks in in uh, in the trans experience. Um, here, that I think is is sort of elevated even more so, um, and I, I don't think it's trying to suggest that um, Adira is non-binary because they contain this host or because they are hosting this symbiont that it's not, I don't think it's truly connected to that. I think Adira would be non-binary regardless of, of this, but I think that uh, hosting multiple sort of entities within the, within the symbiont um definitely gives them another level to to kind of think about this this sort of identity question um and adira so adira basically you know goes by she her pronouns um for a couple of episodes after they're introduced on the show uh which is you know obviously does not make them any less non-binary um but there comes to there comes a point where they're talking to stamets in engineering and uh stamets uses she her pronoun and and they correct him and basically say like they i've been thinking and after that point like it is it is totally like a sure okay Mm -hmm. you know like and that's what's what i find is is really wonderful about it is that it's it's not a big deal like it's it's just like yeah okay and then after that the show does a wonderful job of i think just modeling that that's what we kind of forget sometimes is that shows like star trek give us plot they give us character but they also give us like models just like how to interact you know how to do this so that you don't have to like ask someone you know particularly somebody who's trans or non-binary like hey how could i respect you it's like well you know you have this great model here and it's like that's that's what to do and so i think it does a really good job of that so gray is adira's um lover boyfriend um and gray is a trans man um and the idea there is that gray gray had the symbiont in him before it was transferred to adira in sort of an emergency situation so gray lives within that sort of memory that collective memory but he also appears to them um just through these kind of apparitions and that's not something that's actually supposed to happen so adira is a little taken aback by why that is why that is um where we are in discovery now gray has stopped appearing and it seems like an internal explanation for that is is um gray sort of has this moment where he talks to adira and says you know hey i really want you to like branch out and 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 see other people not necessarily romantically but like enjoy you know don't just talk to like your your dead boyfriend like talk to talk to other people on the ship Okay, so Gray is dead, and that's Gray, how we think so. <laughs> like, that, that's the thing. We think he is. I mean, put it this way: yeah. a a version of him certainly is dead. Um, the question is, are the because the apparitions are not something that traditionally happens to people who have the trail symbiont. Is that something that is appearing because this human shares this bond with um, this this trill, mm. or is this something else that is going mm. on in the world? I I will say, and this is just as someone who is having the the explanation, like, and and you know, I I think that you did a great job explaining this to me, but immediately I'm hearing the explanation and I'm like, ah, fuck, yeah. they they made it complicated yeah. for the people at home. And like, because immediately, like, I'm trying to follow that. And it's just like, and in my head, I was like, okay, so one of them has a symbiote. Tell me the other one doesn't too. And it was just like, oh, no. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. Like, I think you're, you're totally right to have that reaction. I, I have, I have a bit of that myself. I definitely was sort of bummed at the, the narrative of like, oh, so this is, this is yet another sort of queer tragedy that we're being invited to, to cry over. And uh, I wish I didn't have to do that. Um, 
the the only bit of sort of wiggle room I give the show is that you know they've they've taught me in the past that I don't fully know the full picture until until I do because the show has told me and the show may never fully tell me. Um, so I have to, I feel like I want to leave that door open a little bit, but I, I also agree with the feeling of bummedness about that. Yeah. Like I, I'm curious. And again, like I, I have not consumed this season yet. So maybe in seeing it, it'll feel a little bit different, but at the same time, like just hearing about it, I'm just like, well, yeah. all right. It's, it's something. Like I hate to say, yeah. it, I hate to say it like that, but it's something. At least they're they're hiring correctly. Yeah. Um, so it tells me that they want to move in the right direction, um, especially with the whole Hugh subplot. Yeah. It almost feels like I'm just gonna say something, and it's gonna be bad, but it almost feels like they want to kill their gaze and eat it too. Like, they, <laughs> like. like they like they don't want to do it. They're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we want people to feel this, so we're gonna murder all the gay people, but we're not gonna keep them dead. We're gonna find little ways to not leave them dead, and it just that feels like another level of exploitation. And again, like you know, hey, I I think that they're still doing really good work with what I've seen, um, but at the same time, I can't help but feel that way based on this based on this description and based on the other past very out queer characters who have died or had their partner die. Um, so it's just like, well, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's it, it exactly feels that way. I mean, I think that the conversations that occur between Adira Stamets and Culber and specifically to Adira and Stamets, because Stamets is when we see him first, he's so like closed off and he's so, you know, so Stamets. Um, and that sort of starts to warm and 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 open up with Adira. Um that that to me feels really tender and at times joyful. Um but you're right, like underneath that there is sort of that rumbling of they are connecting because they've both had dead loves right uh at different times in the in the show like that is a thing that connects them um or i guess i should say yeah they they've both yeah no i think that's accurate they both they both dealt with death in their love life um in in the way discovery does um hmm. i i guess the only other thing on top of that and, and it, it's not much of a comfort actually i don't it's not really a comfort at all it's just the the whole show it feels like has really kind of leaned into loss and what what loss is i mean in in season three um again spoiler alert here but the the big event that has happened is uh something called the burn which caused every single ship that had uh dilithium uh, which is basically the thing that powers Federation ships. Uh, it, all of those ships have exploded. So that has killed off uh, a huge number of, a huge amount of the, the Federation. So the loss that we are being asked to understand is huge. Now, that also doesn't really act as any sort of a comfort, I think, to, to what we're talking about. It's just sort of as if the show is announcing, like, we are interested in loss, and we will take advantage of almost any opportunity we can to explore that. Unfortunately, the other side to it is, yes, but, like, can we please acknowledge that this is a trope that has unfortunately been uh, in in queer-related you know, media for a very long time and maybe, you know, it's worth pushing back against, like that would be, that would be nice. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, and, and cause I, I agree. It seems like a lot of it is very much about that idea of loss and, and honestly, like that is if, if anyone is actually familiar with my, my writing, that's a huge thing that I write about. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of writing about that and loss and grief and how to get over these these feelings or how to at least live with them um but to that same degree exactly like you say this is a thing that maybe we can find a way to push back on and and not see as as aggressively as we're seeing it in in a lot of these pieces mm -hmm. um yeah exactly yeah i mean it, it's just i i hope that 
Discovery recognizes that they are they're the first series to really bring uh, queerness to the forefront, make it explicit in in ways that are deeply authentic. Um, I, you know, one could even point to uh, in the next generation uh, the episode that that I think very rarely gets talked about as uh, a queer episode, although I think it very much is. Is I Borg uh, basically an episode in which uh, there is a Borg named Hugh. Uh, played by Jonathan Del Arco, who comes back now in Picard, um, and oh, okay, yep, yeah. So there's nothing explicitly queer about Hugh the Borg, but Jonathan Del Arco says that when he was playing that character and sort of expressing the character's kind of grief, uh, but also sort of that feeling of being outside, uh, Jonathan Del Arco thought a lot about. About being gay, Jonathan Delarco is gay, and Jonathan Delarco at that time uh, had just lost his uh, lover to to AIDS, uh, his boyfriend to to AIDS, um, and was was working through a lot of that through the character. So you get moments like that in Star Trek where you are working with actors who are LGBTQ plus, uh, you are putting them into roles that are not, but they are sort of infusing that in uh, and working that in, uh, in their own way. Now we have a situation where that is explicit, which is great. Uh, and it's just, you know, let's, let's show everybody, you know, what the joy looks like and what the, what that, what that really feels like uh I, I think that's it's that's his next mission yeah like because i i think the stakes can still be high the stakes can still be life or death but at the same time like we're we're really for lack of a better term we're really hurting for queer joy we're really hurting yeah. for trans and non-binary joy and from what i've been hearing from a lot of people as much as there are those issues as much as there are those those exactly what you brought up uh, there are a lot of people that are experiencing a lot of trans and queer joy from these characters as well. I did. Yeah. I mean, definitely with Adira, I, I just, I couldn't, I, I get very emotional over it. I, I really do. I, I, I just see um, in them a lot of what I needed, you know, and, and I think that that's really meaningful because you think you have to think somebody else needs it, you know, and there's nothing really special about my coming of age story somebody else is probably growing up the same way watching star trek and that person may be non-binary and now that person has that and 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 is able to see themselves in 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 the text and i just think that that's incredibly beautiful um you know i i just thinking about it now get uh emotional about it because it's so it's so meaningful um so uh, it's I don't I don't ever want to downplay um, the the work that Blue Del Barrio is doing who, who plays Adira um, and Ian Alexander is 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 gray. Um, it's it's super special, super special, and you're not going to see it on the fucking Orville. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I also just want to bring up uh, something that you brought up earlier. This idea that uh, the the character initially used she her pronouns and is not only from a human standpoint completely okay for a person to stop using one pronoun and start using another one um and like great respect yes absolutely uh but also it it's a thing that i think a lot of people who are whether in good faith or bad faith or listening to bad faith actors uh why they can't ever cast a trans person in certain roles is because like oh you know well we got to have the character like use he him pronouns or like oh we got to have them do this early on and it's like let leave that up to the actor if they're comfortable uh because like yeah that that is actually a very uh powerful thing to have a character that you start to get to know and again like have them change their pronouns and then by that point like exactly like you say model that behavior of how to accept that like oh okay yeah yeah exactly because that's that's what's going to get you some some joy in the real world is is it's going to be somebody who like is a is a boss or is a a, a lawyer or a doctor or whatever somebody who, who who or a teacher somebody who deals with many people under them on a daily basis and and maybe that person you know corrects their 
behavior a little bit, not because anybody told them to, but because they were watching Star Trek Discovery and they're just like, oh yeah, yeah, maybe they're, you know, they might be a cis person, but they're, you know, now working with people who are non-binary and they're just like, oh yeah, like I, I saw that on, uh, on, you know, you're not going to say that, but you know, in, in your mind, you're like, yeah, I, I know what to do. Of course. Oh yeah. I saw that on the Discovery. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to say, I saw it on the Orville. And- I know, right? <laughs> yeah. I learned how to be a bigger turd on the Orville. Great. <laughs> uh, all right. So we got to start wrapping up. Uh, is there anything? Obviously, there's so much about Star Trek Disco that we have not talked about. Uh, I We haven't even really brought up Michelle Yeoh. And <laughs> my God, I love Michelle Yeoh in this. Oh, I like, know. Wow. Like, I didn't really even know her that well until <laughs> i think honestly i didn't really know her that well until crazy rich asians mm-hmm. uh and she was spectacular in that oh yeah and like oh my god i love seeing her on this like she's so good yeah she's so fucking good she's so good she's so good the 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 thing i guess around her because i mean i guess like kind of the mission of our discovery is to, our discovery the mission oh, of yeah. our of our podcast here uh this episode <laughs> is to sort of talk about the queerness and discovery um and i think that if we are doing that we could talk a little bit about the mirror universe and just kind of say that that place where uh sort of mirror Giorgio comes from um also expresses queerness uh in the in the sense of uh pansexuality and um uh, I guess just a, a plethora of sexual identities that are that are not straight, um, and I think that some some folks uh, embrace that. I think that some folks have critiqued that, uh, and and I think they're totally justified in doing so to say like, well, why you know why should pansexuality bisexuality be sort of equated with uh, the the mirror universe, which is like all about torture and everything? Um, and I I get that. Uh, I totally totally understand. I I I mean I think it's just fabulous like, like watching Michelle Yeoh chew up the scenery like that. But <laughs> but I also sort of understand you know where people are coming from about about wanting um about wanting sexual identities and gender identities that are totally common you know and have always been quite common uh to be represented to be represented not as odd or like part of some other thing over here but it's just like a normal you know fact of of being a human just yeah that's that's what we have now in the 21st century so there's no reason we wouldn't have that in the 23rd century or 31st century which is where we are now in star trek so sorry for spoiling that i was gonna say wait 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 yeah, right now we're in the 31st century. Well, right. No, I mean, yeah, I know, yeah. like, look, I mean, self-isolation has been weird. <laughs> Time has been all sorts of on the move. Feels but like, like I feel like I would know if it was the 31st century. Yeah, no, you you definitely would. You definitely, as, as much as it feels like we are in the thousandth year of the Joe Biden election, uh, <laughs> we are not quite literally there. <laughs> All right. So the questions that we usually ask mine, I'm probably going to have to amend a little bit just again, because like I have not experienced these characters. So it's hard for me to necessarily judge them. But uh, was it enjoyable? And was it transphobic? Uh, Which one would you want to start with, Jonathan? Let's start with is it transphobic? Okay. Um, I would say no. Uh, I would say it's it's not it's not transphobic and in terms of discovery, I think that what motivates me to say that is simply the trans and non-binary actors who are working on it. And I think that they they are not participating in a thing that is transphobic. I think that that things can be flawed, that stories can be improved and and that we can make totally valid critiques of that without it necessarily being, transphobic um and and i think that the series will just get better in terms of the story critiques but uh i I would not uh apply the word transphobic to what i've seen Hmm. yeah i and again like i have to kind of amend this based on what i've seen and based on what i'm hearing I am a little bit nervous, but at the same time, I've heard nothing but amazing things from other trans and non-binary folk. And so uh, as much as I have to put the caveat to everyone, uh, don't just make trans non-binary actors aliens. Um, These are not. One of them absolutely is explicitly a human character. Uh, there's just a lot of other questionable things uh, <laughs> because yeah. they're now host, the host to a symbiote. Right. Uh, but at the same time, again, um, 
just in general generally like don't just make trans people aliens um so there's there's some nerves but i i I could see it going well yeah yeah exactly i think that's good like cautious optimism Mm -hmm. is is a good is a good thing to apply here um for sure for sure so then uh it gets to the question is it enjoyable yeah absolutely gosh i mean i've been enjoying it my whole life i i mean in terms of just star trek as a as a thing um and i think that you know this this has taken the place for me as my my favorite star trek it used to be deep space nine and now now it's this um and i think that's that's entirely due to uh what the show is interested in exploring and what the show uh is is sort of uplifting and 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 uh consistently just being very emotionally honest about i mean that is what is impressing me here it's just the the emotional honesty of of a character like sylvia tilly for instance who is not somebody that you would ever see uh in previous iterations of star trek but she is just so much like herself and through that makes me feel like yeah like any of us could be on that ship because the things that she expresses are so normal like i mean and i i mean that in just sort of a relatable is perhaps a better word um i love that and i think that that runs through a lot of the characters that we see so uh i enjoy it from a place of ah i really see myself and and people i know in in this and i think that that gives me an immense joy yeah i i highly agree i think it for me it took getting over that hump of the first couple episodes. Once they start getting really into the characters and once they start getting really into the story of season one, it's worth it. And I, I would hope people can move past. Cause I, again, like I've, I've heard a lot of people that are like, ah, season one, I don't know. It's just like, ah, it didn't really grip me the first couple episodes. It's like, ah, you gotta, you gotta stick with it. Lorca, um, come on. Yeah. Lorca, Lorca. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, Okay, so with that in mind, <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess that's the end. <laughs> that's of our like episode, but not Star Trek. Not Star Trek. Oh, also, uh, highly recommend watching Picard. Highly recommend watching the Lower Decks, which I did oh, not expect. Love like, that. Lower Decks was actually the one that got me into all of this because I was like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll watch Picard. It was just like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll watch Discovery. But it was like Lower Decks. It was like, all right, they're trying to be Rick and Morty, but in the the Star Trek universe. But it's like, yeah, okay, it's kind of. Let's see what they do. And I was really into it. That was that was yeah. sort of the one that did it. And then I watched Picard and I was like, all right, Picard's really good. Yeah. And then <laughs> we got to disco and I was like, all right, I guess I really should be watching this from the beginning. You're but, a Trekkie now. This yeah. is great. Uh I prefer the term trekker. Then no, that's what we'll no, use. I don't. I do <laughs> then I do. we won't. <laughs> I'm just being difficult. Yeah. <laughs> uh great. So Jonathan, tell people how to find you if you want them to find you on the internet. Sure. So Facebook, Jonathan Alexandratus. I'm I'm there. Uh Twitter at J Alexan. Uh Instagram at toy underscore circus. It's all toy pictures that have not been updated in a long time, but I'm, I'm there. Um, and uh, that's uh, where you can find me. I'm also on the new play exchange. If anybody does, if anybody listening is a playwright and uh, is also on there, uh, we can always sort of trade reviews and do all that wonderful stuff. Yeah. Uh, and as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Lucretia Deerfor, L-U-C-R-E-T-I-A-D-E-A-R, and then the number four. Uh, you can also find the Is It Transphobic podcast on, both on Twitter as well as uh, on Instagram at Is It Transphobic. You can go to com for all of our episodes if you want to catch a past episode uh, and also patreon.com slash Is It Transphobic. You get episodes like this a week early and then also uh, mini interviews with a lot of really awesome people. Some of them are trans and non-binary, but we've also been interviewing a number of cis folks that either do work in gender or are just really cool people that honestly, I feel like our listeners uh, could benefit from hearing their experience. Uh, so yeah, you get those a month early. We're going to be releasing, uh, if it's not already out yet, we're going to be releasing very shortly to the public my interview with Cleo Stiller, who is a good friend of mine, who was the host of Sex Right Now on Fusion TV uh, and put out a book called Modern Manhood, as well as for the Patreon, we are putting out my interview with Nikki Wolfock, who is a fantastic author and chocolatier, or chocolatier, depending on who you talk to. Uh, (laughs) 
so yeah uh thank you so much for joining me jonathan thank you for having me yeah i'm, I'm glad that we were able to kind of buck the system because it's kind of nice just to just down and interview people again <laughs> no this was great um it brought it gave me an excuse to bring out my quark standee which is standing right behind me <laughs> people cannot see this but uh there's a quark standee behind and jonathan is wearing a uh star trek disco is it a zip-up hoodie or what is no, it it's the uniform so it's uh so underneath it is the t-shirt that says disco which is the <laughs> replica shirt from the show uh and then you can actually the this is the 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 the, the shirt that is amazing. Do me a favor. Try and send me a picture just so that I can upload it to the social medias and the Patreon. And I'll, I'll totally <laughs> do it wearing the same pants I am right now, which is my Lilo and Stitch pants. <laughs> so this will look really good. Just on brand. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you again. I will Thank talk you. to you all later. Is It Transphobic was produced, edited, and coordinated by Ashley Lauren Rogers. The original music you heard was all created by Vivian Aladrin, who you can find on Bandcamp at vivianaladrin.bandcamp.com.